Hi everybody. We just wanted to make sure everyone is aware. We had some audio problems with this interview that we did with Tim Sale, and you're going to be able to tell because there's going to be a lot of feedback towards the end, and we actually had to cut out a little bit of the ending just because of too much feedback. So just be aware. Also, a lot of the questions had to be re-recorded because there was so much feedback. So just be aware of that and enjoy. This is another interview brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. This is Stephen Hill, game director on Batman Arkham Asylum. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. I am Brandon Vietti, director of Under the Red Hood. Hi, this is Gail Simone. Hi, this is James Tucker. Hi, I'm Dan Jurgens. Hi, this is Bruce Tim. This is Michael Jelinek from The Brave and the Bold. Hi, this is Andrea Romano. Hi, my name's Dan DeDio. Hi, my name's Claiborne Moore with the C.S. Moore Studio. Hi, this is Jim Lee. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, it's Sean DiMaggio. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. from the batmanuniverse.net today we have with us tim sale welcome tim hi everybody and we have a bunch of questions that a bunch of our fans wanted us to ask you so let's just jump right into them the very first question that we have is besides your own work who are your favorite batman artists and why well let me let me list them then i'll go back and tell you about why okay the first one I ever paid attention to was Neil Adams. Let me give you a little a little background. I'm 52 years old, so I was a teenager when Adams was was working, but I was I only read Marvel comics actually, and even though I loved uh, Adams's work, uh, I, I I like refused to buy any of it. Um, <laughs> so that 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 was later when I I kind of got over it. Oh no, no I was a full on zombie. I'm telling you, um, they were the the dastardly competition, and they were actually well. Part of the reason that I was a zombie was that there were actually very few DC artists or stories or characters that I cared for. But Batman was definitely one. And as soon as I saw Neil Adams's work, he was definitely a huge favorite of mine immediately. So, but it was years later before I actually picked any of it up. I think the first one I actually bought was the Joker's Five Way Revenge. That's good. Um, one of the, you know, top ten great comics of all time. Really. Right. Uh, the other guy that I that immediately comes to mind is Dave Mazzucchelli, and I, I I really do think, despite how I feel about Mr. Miller these days, I think year one really writing, lettering, coloring, the art in in every way. It just knocks me out. Uh, I, I continue to to love it, to read it, to steal from it, all sorts of things. It may be my favorite Batman story of all time. It's certainly you know top three or stuff like that. Mazzucchelli and and Adams are obviously very different in artists, uh, but they they both have a really seems to me intelligent way of of drawing a thriller, and I, I consider superhero comics thrillers equivalent of you know a thriller movie or a thriller novel and even though their approach is different they they still distill things down to the essence of, of what makes the characters cool miller's story helped a great deal much more than danny o'neill's writing helped adams which partly makes adams's achievement all the more remarkable but but nonetheless those are the guys that i i looked at most directly for Batman artists. There are many, many other artists, such as Alex Toth, 
that I, you know that I've looked at and, and that I use as inspiration while working on Batman. Toth wasn't really a great superhero artist or a great Batman artist, so it wasn't so much that. Just in other aspects of his work. How do you feel about Jim Aparo? Well, he was a DC artist, so I didn't pay that much attention to him, right? So I have to have that caveat. Uh, I know that when I first noticed him, I, I kind of thought of him as a knockoff of Adams, but a good one. But I never really, I never collected him. I didn't know that much more about him. I know that he also did work in different styles, not just as a knockoff of Adams, but it made every sense to give in to that impulse on his part. That's about as much as I can say. I can't point to any issues or any particular things about Apparel. I, I do know a lot of people whose opinion I admire that like him a great deal, though. Who's your favorite writer that you've worked with? Oh, Jeff, by far. But I haven't worked with all that many other ones, right? So, therefore, it makes sort of sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's not a coincidence that I've worked with Jeff as often as I have. I really like working with Jeff. So, oh, by the way, I didn't say his last name. Is there a specific reason you enjoy working with him more than anyone else you've worked with? There's an easy answer to that, but it's also a little nebulous. We come from the same place creatively much more often than not. Not always, but much more often than not. What drives us, what we think about it as an interesting story, as a moving story, as an exciting story, tend to be the same kind of things. We're about the same age. I'm a few years older than, older than he is. He read DC growing He also read Marvel. He read everything. We can refer back to the same kind of pop culture, not just comics, but movies and television, things like that. We have a shorthand way of going over things together, of referring to things in his scripts. He will refer back to certain issues of certain comics, uh, certain certainly movies. It evolved over the years into a, a very shorthand way of talking. It did take a while for us to, to kind of get there, but it's now very easy. He writes me full scripts now, but that's about the, the fifth or sixth different way that he and I have worked together. We used to do it over the phone. He would he would write it down on a on a, a yellow legal pad. He would actually take a credit card and draw a rectangle, and that would be a page. And he would on this yellow legal pad, and he would uh, write notes in it, and then call me, and we would talk for like four hours, and I would take notes on my end. This is even before the initially. This is even before faxes, much less before computers or scanning anything or anything like that, right? Barely before Federal Express. It was the fastest way to get it done, even though it was a four-hour conversation. We were very different as people, but we are very similar in kind of stories that we enjoy telling. What makes you and Jeff have the magical collaboration that's very rare in comics, but you and Jeff, it's like catching lightning in a jar, and you guys do it all the time. Is it the history, like you were talking about, that you can base that on the success that you have. I don't really know how to how to answer that in a different way than I than I did. What's curious to me is how different we are as people, and how similar we are in the kind of stories that we like to tell. Jeff also likes to tell other stories with different artists, and he writes differently for them. One of his great strengths, I think, as a writer, is that he first of all he's a real fan of other artists and of comics in general. He still buys, I don't know, 50 comics a week or something. He writes towards an artist's strength. My strength with him, I happen to think, brings out the best in his writing. And I feel very blessed because of that. 
But he also gives me just an incredible amount of fun things to draw. I, I remember when he wrote the first Batman story that I did with him, which was right after I worked with James Robinson on, on Blades for Legends of the Dark Knight. And we did the first Halloween special, which began as another arc, three-issue arc, for Legends of the Dark Knight. I remember saying to him, this is extraordinary. There was something on every page that I looked forward to drawing. And I, I don't know, I'd been working in the business for maybe five, eight years before that. And that had never been the case. And I remember saying to him, I hope this is the last time that'll happen. And he says, shut up. <laughs> don't, don't, don't curse it. You know, this is just the beginning. But I was also referring to Challengers, which had been a huge headache working on with him. Because we were just getting to know each other and throwing a lot of mud at the wall and hoping some of it would stick. Right? That, <laughs> that, that's how I think the Challenger. That's how I think of the Challenger series. As soon as we worked together on Batman, it just felt completely different, and it's been you know, pretty much the, my favorite stuff in my whole career. You know, Tim, what got you started in comics? Just comics in general. What was the initial feeling? Because I know. You said Neil Adams was one of your idols. What made you make the jump and say, I'm going to draw comics? Oh, I, well, I suppose just, how do I make some money doing what I like to do? <laughs> wasn't, any more than that. wasn't any more than that. I, was almost, I remember when I was in uh, high school and I was getting ready to graduate, and this was 1974, and a lot of my classmates were trying to figure out how to make a living, and they focused on making a living first, not what do I like to do? How do I make some money doing it first? And that just seemed backwards to me. Now, I couldn't really do anything else, but I knew I didn't want to do anything else. And I'd always wanted to draw. I, I you know, I'd always collected comics and I just sort of focused on that. Now, it did take me 10 years to, to kind of get into it. And at least half of those years, I was fairly idle in in pursuing art as a career. But I always kind of knew it was going to come back to me. I would come back to it. And I, I now think that I benefited and my art benefited a great deal from that time away, looking at other kinds of art, drawing other kinds of things. And then when I came back to it, when I was almost 30, a lot of things that had been such a struggle earlier came naturally. That's when you found your weight, right? That's when you found your own style? It wasn't a matter of style, really. It was... The style was helped a great deal by working with Jeff because, well, of the scripts that he wrote, but also what he brought out in me. The, the emphasis that he allowed me to put on certain things and not have to worry about other things. And, in my opinion, no, not enough writers do that. Oh, that's uh, a good take. They write the story that they want to write. In their opinion, is it is at that point up to the artist to just figure it out. Right, because in essence, you're the storyteller. You're you're actual storyteller per these pages. Well, we both are. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the the writer writes first, so it isn't that I am making it all up. I'm not. I need something to go on, but. Jeff has always insisted, and God bless him, in having us share storyteller credits. 
you go back and look at any of the credits in the books that he and I have worked on together, it always says Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, storytellers. Right. Uh, he doesn't break it down any more than that. But I couldn't do it without him. He could write it for somebody else, but he'd write a different story. I have a contribution to make, but it wouldn't happen. He would write a different story if he was writing for somebody else. And, and my contribution wouldn't exist without his writing it. So in, in the next number of years, at some point, I will, I'm going to do my own creator-owned thing. I'll be writing part of it, but I'll also be working with other writers. But it'll be my, what, my baby. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll see what happens. I don't really know what's going to happen either. I've never done anything like it, so I got my fingers crossed and stay tuned. That, that's, uh, I don't know, three, four years away. <laughs> Let me ask you, when you're drawing these pages, what kind of inspiration do you get? What kind of ideas come across? First of all, it begins with a script. Jeff's scripts are always very evocative of, of visuals. They're not hugely detailed the way that, well, so many of the English writers, uh, like Gaiman and Moore and people like that, Mark Miller, they lay out very strictly what they want on the page and they describe things very carefully. Uh, there's a lot of minutiae. And, and God bless him, it works for him, right? But it would drive me crazy. And Jeff does not write that way. What he does is, at least for me, and I haven't seen the scripts for other people, so I, I can't speak to that, but at least for me, what he writes evokes images rather than describes images. It's then up to me to find other visual cues, uh, and sometimes that's just a matter of sitting down and, and, and doing the work, and things come when that happens. But other times, I look around for other, other, either other artists or other uh, visual cues that could be photography, that could be movies, things like that, that that evoke things uh, for me. I remember when we were doing, it's not Batman, but I remember when we were doing uh, Hulk Gray from Marvel. He wanted to open an, an issue in a, a deserted road, in the middle of the desert, but that there was a... Um, like a Union 76 station, right, a gas station. And I knew right away that I wanted to get some research and, and look up a, you know, like a 1950s. I, I wanted very a very kind of old-fashioned looking place. And then it was going to be up to me to make it look sort of desolate and, and romantic with a capital R uh, and that kind of thing. And I remember yelling at him and saying, well, you should give me some, a little more time you know I like to do research on this kind of things. You know I want to find some books so I can pick it apart and make sure that the dials on the, on the where you pump the gas are going to look exactly right and stuff like that. And, and he called me crazy as, as he should. <laughs> you know, but 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 I do enjoy that, right? So I think that answers your question, kind of. I mean, okay, to him it's just okay, gas station, roadside gas. <laughs> To me, you know, okay, oh, I know exactly the kind of thing I want to do, but I want to make sure that, not that the minutia is exactly right. I don't care about authenticity in that way, but I want it to feel right, right? I want it to feel like Nat King Cole singing Route 66, traveling across the country and pulling over in the middle of the night to get some gas, and you're hoping it's open. 
Mm, yeah, and that's that detail that you give it. Well, the feeling of it, right? The, <laughs> and I'm living this now with, with working on Cap White with him. I don't. Um, I'm not going to worry about whether or not the rifles or the uniforms that the soldiers, either for uh, the Allies or the Axis, are exactly right for for 1941, right? That kind of thing. It's got to feel right, though. Right, right. I, and I take my cue for uh, Jack Kirby, who was in the Battle of the, the Bulge, and he just did what felt right, right? So it, mm -hmm. uh, if it was good enough for Kirby, it was good enough for me. <laughs> All right, one of the questions that we had from one of our listeners was, Tony Daniels said in an interview recently that when he gets to write the story, Battle for the Cowl for Batman early next year, he's going to redesign Batman's outfit question from the listener was, if you had the chance to redesign Batman's outfit, what would you change, if anything at all? I wouldn't do anything. So you, it's, it's one of the iconic images in, not just in comics, but in modern American culture. Superman's S, Batman's cape. Look, I hated, I hated Venom, because don't mess with Spider-Man, man. I mean, it's one of the great, one of the great things. Uh, I, I, I don't get it. God bless Daniels, but uh, I don't understand why people mess, want to mess around with it. it. It does to me, just personally, to me, it feels like, well, I got nothing. Let's kill Batman. Let's, you know, <laughs> let's kill Let's bury Peter Parker. Let's, I got nothing else, right? It, it seems like a dearth of ideas rather than, now I'm not picking on anybody specifically, but the idea of, Shooting Captain America just seems like a dumb, lazy way <laughs> doing that. I think a lot of fans agree with you, so. <laughs> well, thank God. <laughs> just out there on the cliff. But it, but it is really how I feel. I mean, and I know these, you know, look, these, these, I remember when my homepage on the computer, when I, when I log in on my browser, is, is Google News. And Captain America's death was all over it for days. And so it was it was perfectly clear why Marvel would want to do it. Right? Right. You know, uh, it, this is not Newsarama. <laughs> this is Google News, right? It was big news. And and so I got it. It just seems like, oh, God, really? And Ed Brubaker's a friend of mine. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not yelling at anybody in particular. Plus, Ed and... It didn't just wake up one day and, and write it without, you know, Marvel signing off on it and, and all that. So, it, again, it's not, it's not Ed I'm talking about. It's just, Jeff, it seems to me, is a great example of, even though I know he does a lot of crazy stuff uh, with other people. But I think he feels personally strongly about the way he works with me, and that was that's partially because of the fact that we go back to, we don't do origin stories, but we go back to early days of the characters in order to tell stories about why they were compelling characters in the first place. Here we are in, in almost 2009, being able to tell a story about Captain America in World War II, 
there are ideas out there. There are stories out there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's my point. And I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like continuity. I don't, uh, I don't have time for it. I think it, in many ways, and this is just me. I know that Jeff doesn't feel like this, uh, or doesn't feel the way that I feel about this. But I think it really hurts comics. The year-long company-wide story arcs, the reinvention rebooting of continuity the the slavish attention to continuity uh, it, 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 look it began as Marvel with Marvel trying to say wouldn't it be cool if Daredevil could show up every once in a while in Spider-Man's comic and then it just became this crazy three-headed beast that just dominated everything Oh, I agree with you, Tim. I'm an aspiring artist. What advice would you give an artist like myself, people who will listen to further their careers? I mean, what helped you reach what you got to do, and what will help other artists get to that place that got you there, like you? Look outside of comics. It's very easy, and I certainly did it, to focus on comics and and the art in comics, the stories in comics, because that's ultimately what you want to do. But if you just limit what you look at to stuff that's already been done in the media that you work in, you'll never be as good as you can be. And uh, it took me a while to kind of get to that fact. Even then, I looked, let's say, the Warren books, Creepy and Eerie and Vampirella, in the, in the late 60s and through the 70s, and discovered people like Alex Toth and Angela Torres and that, that influenced my work in superheroes. If your top ten list of, of artists in comics includes people like James Jean, Dave Johnson, Mike Mignola, all those people look, uh, it's just three off the top of my head, Dave Mazzucchelli, whatever, you know, all those people looked well outside of regular superhero comics for things that interested them that made them want to draw and that that eventually informed everybody begins by copying okay but eventually you get a sense of what's more important to you and you develop your own style and if you just look at one person or just Jack Kirby or just John Buscema or these are guys from my, they were huge for me, right? Or just Jim Stranko. But Stranko never looked at just comics. He loves comics. He's an encyclopedia of comics. He's, he's, God willing, he will actually write more about uh, the history of comics. He's just a great designer. And he said, let me bring that to comics and try to do something differently and so I I would just encourage all of that do not be afraid to copy 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 Uh, it's a great way to learn I used to tell teachers in school this that that they don't make fun of this stuff because it, it what they do is they take very complex artistic problems perspective anatomy things like that which you can spend a lifetime getting better at and they distill it down and draw six of these things on a page, page after page after page, issue after issue. It's, it's an amazing thing 
people to do. I've always thought that it was a shame that comics have not held a higher place in the in the culture, because all it takes is a little bit of a tweak of perspective to see the amount of work that goes into producing even the worst comic. That's the art part of it. The other part of it is there are many. It's been written many times. Uh, go to conventions, show your stuff to the editors and the and the art directors that are there to look at your portfolio, develop a relationship as much as you can with that person so that that person remembers you the next time you see them. But none of that was available when I was trying to break into comics. People were still mailing in samples, which would inevitably end up, at best, at the bottom of a pile somewhere, and most likely in the trash. It just, you know, it's just the way it worked. But people get hired every year by submitting a portfolio to a live person at a convention. James Jean got working comics by showing his portfolio to Mark Chiarello. And Chiarello is a great forward-thinking art director. Uh, he, he gives very good critiques for uh, at, at conventions of, of portfolios. Very helpful. Um, and every once in a while, you get lucky. I wish that was around when I was trying to break in. Let me ask you, Tim, what's your favorite medium? You mean, you mean uh, tools? Do I like you know, pencils or inks or that kind of thing? Yeah, what I, what I guess, your favorite tool. I, I don't really have favorite. Let me say this. I, I would go crazy if I was just a penciler or just an inker. I would get tired of one. I, I'm always happy to get to the next one after I've done one apart. What I always attempt to do when I, when I start a new project is to figure out what sort of, what does the art and the story need from me to be told its best way possible. That can be anything from I wanted to use a very thin line and let the color be the star and look at a lot of Norman Rockwell for a kind of Americana when I was doing Superman for All Seasons to looking at the drawings that Jack Kirby sent back from the European theater when he was a soldier in World War II to his wife and he would take a little stub of a pencil and draw on an envelope or draw on a little scrap of paper. And I, I, want, I wanted to use a lot of sort of graphite in the, in the feel and the touch of my Captain America work. I, I didn't just say, you know what, I feel like using a pencil. It, it had to follow the, the point of what I was trying to do. And that always begins with the story. I like using it all. I, I like for the Heroes TV show. Well, I've worked in a lot of ways, but I about halfway through the first season, I started using a lot of charcoal, which I hadn't used since I was a, a student in college. It was so much fun. It was so exciting. So, but but that also came from the kind of mood that the pictures seemed to require, kind of scary and atmospheric. And, and big, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a little panel. It was a, a big image. So, another one of the questions that we had from a listener was, "How did you change your approach from your work in comic books to what you did in Heroes?" It's just uh, different different mediums. Uh, what I was trying to do was follow the uh, what the pictures required. 
It's about mood. So much of my work is just about mood. And then another question I'm interested in, being a Heroes fan myself, how exactly did you get involved with Heroes? Well, that was from Jeff. Uh, Jeff has been uh, a friend of Tim Kring's for longer than he's known me, and he's known me for 20 years or so. Kring called Jeff and said that he had, had written the script for a, a new show that he hoped NBC would would pick up. Kring's background was he had a uh, about a six or seven year run on a show called uh, Crossing Jordan for NBC, and he was hoping that NBC would uh, would like his new idea, and he wanted an artist to create some illustrations for the script for the pilot. And Kring, to my knowledge, has never read a comic book, but he knew that he was writing sort of a comic book script, and that's partly why he wanted some illustrations for it. But he then asked Jeff, look, you know all this stuff. Let me talk to you about the script, but let me also get a recommendation from you as to who would be good to do some illustrations for the script. He's got to be local, he's got to be fast, and you've got to like him. And Jeff, bless his heart, recommended me. So I worked on the pilot. Well, I worked on the script. The script got picked up. I then worked on the pilot. All the, and, and, but all that was before Jeff was officially part of the show. Jeff didn't come on until, um, well, until it had been picked up in uh, season one right after the pilot. And now I'm there after him, which is very, very strange for me. Now, do you still do the drawings? Because that's something that I'm, I know a lot of people have been wondering. There was a lot of, there's been a lot more drawings this season than there was in the second season. But are you still the main artist for that? Well, yes, I am. I'm the only artist that they use. And in fact, there are many, many more drawings this season than, actually, as of right now, more than season one and season two put together. Now, season two was short, but uh, I, I think that the art doesn't really seem to have the same import and significance this season as it had in season one. And that that because we, we jump around with who the artists are, right? it doesn't have the same sort of feel. But even just the last couple of weeks, well, over the last three weeks, there have been maybe 15 images from comic book panels to uh, discarded old Isaac sketches to paintings on rocks. Uh, but you, you just get a glimpse of them. They're, you, you get them very quickly, so they, they don't have the same the same impact on the viewer as when you get a big Isaac Mendez drawing. Right, right. So, like in uh, season one. Uh, so it... it uh, but there's... I, I've actually done a lot more art for the show this year than before. They're still trying to figure stuff out. You know, have you watched any of the recent Batman films? Sure. What do you think about Nolan using some of your work in recent films? Well, first of all, I think the movies are, are very exciting. And, and there's a lot of great uh, visuals in them. And a lot of great acting and a lot of great, a lot of great components to them all. I'm flattered when people talk about the influence, and I do see the influence, that the work that Jeff and I have done. I'm happy that the movie made $800 billion worldwide or whatever <laughs> Uh, and DC, bless his heart, has, has been very kind to Jeff and I, even though they didn't need to be. 
I don't quite see it the way that other people do see it, though. Uh, you know, I get that question often enough that that I, I, it makes me want to go back and go, "What did I miss? I, I didn't quite didn't quite get it all." I, I see I see much more of it um, in, in in what Jeff did than what I did. Right, the the whole "I believe in Harvey Dent" is aligned directly from Long Halloween, influenced hugely by The Godfather, of course. But the, like the scene on the rooftop, the idea that that Gordon and Batman and Dent would get together and say, we got to form a partnership so that we can fight what's going on in the city. All that stuff is Jeff. It's not so much me. I don't say that to, well, I I think it's true. I don't say it to um, be modest or pretend to be modest or anything like that. The point that I really saw, the first appearance of Two-Face, when when Dent turns over and we see the screwed up side of his face, uh, that really looked like something I drew. Christopher Nolan and David Goyer did an interview that was the introduction to the the absolute version of uh, Batman Long Halloween. So, I mean, it, it's all out there, um, and it's it, look, it's exciting. Yeah, you know, um, uh, you know, they didn't have to draw up storyboards because all they had to do was open the comic book and then they could see your work and say, "We'll just do it like that." <laughs> We didn't have a tanker truck flipping over in the middle of Chicago, man. Yeah, that's true. That was pretty damn good, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yes. But comics and movies are different, right? I just uh, – look, my girlfriend has a 12-year-old daughter uh, who is like every other 12-year-old girl in the country. is hugely into Twilight. And so I've been trying to have conversations with her about the difference between movies and books. And anytime you adapt anything – it's got to be different. The more you try to pretend it's the same thing, it's going to fail. Right. Right. God bless uh, Goyer and the Nolan brothers and, and what they did. I'm sure that you're aware that DC has been doing some direct-to-DVD animated features that are rated PG-13. They did Darwin Cook's new, The New Frontier earlier this year. Now, there's been a lot of talk around at DC that they're going to be putting out two new animated Batman movies besides the one that they put out last summer, which was Gotham Knight. The question is, a lot of people are saying that they want to see The Long Halloween or Dark Victory roll out as one of those animated versions. What do you think about it? Well, I'd be interested. I think it'd be fun. I obviously would like to, what, have some sort of say-so about it. I don't have a history unlike Darwin. And by the way, I don't want to miss any opportunity talk about what a genius I think Darwin is. I, I, I do believe that he is the most talented, most versatile guy working in comics today. He also has a background in animation. So he, he's a, a really good guy to be a part of helping create an animated movie. I don't have any of that. I'd like to be consulted. I'd like to, you know, be a, be a part of it. I'd like to sort of dip my toes in and have fun and, and whatever, but I don't I don't have any aspiration to be an animator. I don't have any expertise in that uh, field. Let me let me turn it around the other way. I'd love to be happy with whatever they did, ultimately. Okay. And right. if I sense. could contribute to that, that'd be great. Okay. How do you feel as well we'll just come out and say it. How do you feel being the artist of some of the biggest comics in Batman's history that have ever been done. <laughs> How do I feel? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's terrible. I, I'm stressed <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, first of all, thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. I knew that 
You know, it's funny that way. I, and this doesn't really answer your question that much, but the when, when I was doing, I, I kind of figured out how to do what I was doing with Batman around the time, well, about issue 10 of Long Halloween. That was the, the creation of Two-Face. I think that's issue 10. I'm not really sure. I think, well, I go back every once in a while and, and look at it and go, okay, something happened here. Something was beginning to happen. And by the time I was done with it, uh, and certainly by the time I came back to it in Dark Victory, I'd figured some stuff out that I did not get earlier. I knew, I remember saying to Jeff, um, tragically it turns out, um, <laughs> that if this doesn't win a, you know, a bunch of Eisners, I don't know anything. You know, well, I mean, apparently I don't know anything but because it didn't win a bunch of Eisners. But I'm really, really proud of, I'm more proud of that. Jeff is a bigger part of why Long Halloween was a success than I was. And that's great. And I, I'm happy to be associated with it at all. Well, I do think that I made a contribution. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But my work in Dark Victory, I think, is much stronger. My work, my part, of it, both storytelling-wise and just that I could draw better by that. I wish it would, just personally, I wish it would get a little more play than Long Halloween. For that reason, but also because I, uh, I think, you know, the other thing I think is that I, Jeff dragged me kicking and screaming into telling a story about Robin, and it turned out to be something that was hugely fulfilling for me, right? So uh, that's an interesting thing in, in, a, in a creative process, right? That uh, you don't always know what you're doing, and sometimes other people, not, not that other people know better, but that you should take chances. And I and I did, and I end up much much happier with that. Look, I'm very happy that people like like it. I do like it too. Uh, both both Dark Victory and and Long Halloween. You know, it's it's pretty amazing to me that it was really only like five years that we did well less than five years. Uh, Long Halloween, Superman for All Seasons, and Dark Victory. And I'll probably go to my grave with those being the biggest turning points in my career, but also the things that people will refer to the most often, regardless of the movies. And, of course, the movies make everything exponentially bigger. Okay, so another question we ask anybody we interview is, if you had to pick between Batman or Superman as your favorite, which would it be? Marianne. <laughs> no, I look, it, uh, definitely to draw, it would be Batman. I never get tired of drawing Batman. Okay. Um, and I don't. I, I, I am something in me that likes the tragic hero that that can't ever recover. But I would, you know, I look. I love. I don't love Superman in that way. I love the way that Jeff writes him and the way that Darwin writes him. I I told Darwin and I've told Jeff this previously, uh, but I told Darwin that I want to do a Ma Kent miniseries. Uh, <laughs> I, I just I just love the Kansas of all that. Every time we got the costume. It, it's just less interesting to me. I love the Kansas stuff with with uh, with Clark and his family. If I get Lois there, then it'd be better because I love Lois too. But there's uh, there's almost nothing about Batman that I don't just look forward to doing. Villains, subplots, his backstory, uh, his costume, his fighting crime, all that. Are you going to be going to any comic conventions in the next year that we can let your fans know about? The only one I'm committed to 
is, uh, in fact, my favorite domestic show, which is Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle. Okay. Uh, and that's the beginning of April. I think it's the 4th and 5th of April. It's definitely a comic book show, but it's very good sized, meaning it's not too big, uh, but it's big enough. And it, it, it's a, it's a, the same way that the, uh, the hero convention is in Charlotte and, uh, Baltimore is, you know, these are shows that are built around really sort of built around artist alley. And, and there are plenty of uh, retailers there to get your back issues, to get your toys and t-shirts and things like that. But they focus a great deal on bringing in creators who are there to meet and greet and draw for everybody. Uh, as a result, they know that also. These shows know that. And they, uh, that they make it a huge amount of fun for the creative people to come in and have a good time. Because that's how you get people to come back and do great work. And that makes the show better, right? So uh, um, Jim Dimonakos at Sanerbo City is, is a great guy, runs a great show. That's the only one I absolutely know. Uh, I may do both Baltimore and Hero, uh, but I have a number of overseas shows that I'm doing. I'm probably going to Paris. I may be going to Australia, and I may be going to uh, Spain twice, actually. So look at my life. What the hell is this? You know, I, how does this happen? I draw these funny little pictures, and people want me to come anywhere. I, I, I don't understand. And God bless Tim Kring. I, also, I have, I have no uh, no illusions that it's just comics. That it, you know, Tim, let me ask you. The Long Halloween and the Dark Victory, they came out and brought them out in figures and toys. How did that make you feel, seeing your art style put into as a figure? It was pretty great. Uh, I was really surprised that they were as good as they were. I think I draw very two-dimensionally, very cartoonish. Not cartoonish in the, in the sense of animation or that kind of thing, but I was just really surprised that they translated three-dimensionally at all. Jonathan Matthews was the primary sculptor that I worked with, and I just, he was he was a joy to work with, and I did do turnarounds for him. We went back and forth. I gave him a lot of notes, but I could never do what he did, and uh, I was just really impressed with how they all turned out. I'd love to do more. I'd love to do, I'd love to have a, um, at least a Superman statue or something like that to, to really have a, a huge contrast to uh, to the Batman work. You know, everybody's so skinny and uh, the lines are so sharp and angular on all the, the Batman things. And, and super, you know, my, my Superman for All Seasons figure is, you know, this kind of just big farm boy uh, with a tiny head and, and all that <laughs> stuff. I'd love to have that too. I, I don't... Uh, I think they've got a lot of really good sculptors over there at DC. The, the Mignola statue of Batman is, is my favorite, at least that I've seen, of any of the ones over there. How did you like your black and white statue? Well, I liked it. Not, not quite as much, but that's my fault, not anybody else's. Um, I tried to do... I wanted the, the, the kind of cape to be the star of it. Everybody in DC was really really tried to accommodate me with that. I just don't ultimately think that it was a, a great way to go. But I, that's, that's my fault. That's, that's nobody else's uh, 
issue. Again, Mignola's was, was my favorite, partly because it was so simple. In retrospect, I should have done something less reliant on, on movement, right? That's what I was trying to go for, and I don't, I don't really know that it came off well. Though. I like it. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I'm not trying to talk anybody out of anything. <laughs> I'm too honest for my own good. Uh, I, and, but again, it, it that was not... That's all me. That's not anybody... No, nobody else, you know. And uh, uh, DC, to their credit, did not try to talk me out of it, uh, even though maybe they should have. So. <laughs> but I'm glad you like it. It's not as though I don't like it. I just, uh, I look at what other people did, see different things I could have done different. So maybe let's, let's do a series of them. Yeah, like series two maybe. Of there you Tim go. Hill. There you <laughs> go. The Dark Victory version. The Dark Victory, yes. <laughs> All right, well, Tim, we want to thank you for coming on the show and answering a ton of questions for our fans and spending so much time with us. Thanks for being on the show, and we hope to talk to you in the future.